Hi friends. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode. It is about a week later than I said it was going to be. Um, For those of you who listened to last week's episode, I have been in Hawaii the past week and a half and it has been just like the most amazing experience. Um, So deeply, profoundly healing. I went to a week-long all-women's very intimate small yoga retreat in just the jungle mountains of Oahu and uh, cried every single day, did some crazy meditations, um, had some really like deep, intimate connections with people. And it was just, um, it was lovely. It was profound. It was, it was healing. It was amazing. Um, I got to see a friend I haven't seen for like six years and had like my first like slumber party in a while, which was so cute and nice and just, really just kind of checked all my boxes. Um, and it was, uh, just so nice. And I got to visit the big Island, which is where I was born and also where my father died. And I learned that we actually have family ties there like a hundred years ago, my great, great, great uncle and aunt, um, they lived there and like lived their whole lives there and died there, not their whole lives, but a good long portion of their lives. Um, and ended up dying there. And I don't know if they had kids, but it was interesting because, the hostel I stayed in, the person who checked me in, I told her my name and she was like, Holiday is my husband's like last name. And I was like, we both just kind of looked at each other for a moment. I was like, Ooh, I don't know. So I don't know. There was so, so many synchronicities. Like I ended up staying on the exact same um, street that I used to live. And you know, like when you book with Airbnb, they don't tell you where you're staying. And so that was just like, just so many things happened so in alignment. I got to meet my godfather who I haven't seen since my dad's funeral when I was three. I didn't even know I had a godfather. Um, Just so many things. And one of my favorite things, um, they're not on the big island and they're not, they're also not things, but one of my favorite uh, experiences um, essentially was the wild chickens of Oahu. They were so healing for me because they were just living their best lives. I mean, like, I've never seen chickens so healthy and so happy and so real, you know? They're not genetically altered. They're just, like, existing. And, oh, gosh, it was, like, a little baby chick season. And so just all these, like, mama hens running around with their little babies. And then, like, the mom would chirp and the baby would chirp and then run over while, like, flapping their wings. And, oh, my God goodness it was the cutest thing I loved them so much they were like one of my top three favorite like things of Oahu like reasons why I just like loved being there um you know I I live in Iowa which now (laughs) I've I've already been called to like openly look to where I want to go next because this isn't resonating anymore um but after I got back I literally cried like yesterday I, I got back um I got back two days ago now and I just sat in my car and I cried because I missed Hawaii so much. Um, So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, But I know one thing for sure where I am at is not nurturing me in the way it was and I feel like I'm ready to fly now. So I'm interested to see where I end up flying and what ends up happening. So um, yeah, we will see. But the wild chickens they were so 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 amazing i know that's so many so's but it's just it's real um i don't know if i've ever actually seen a chicken that has not been altered by humans and so to see them like 
just thriving and healthy and so colorful and free, just genuinely free was amazing. It is what I wish for all of the animals, freedom, just freedom to exist and to nurture their young and to experience life and to touch the earth. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. So it's actually perfect. Um, perfect because today we're actually going to be talking about chickens. Um, I was, while I was on the island, I was either going to film this or I was going to film um, an interview with um, a farm sanctuary over there, but they ended up never getting back to me. And that's okay because it was honestly, it was super busy. And I didn't have a private room. I shared a room with two other people. So I didn't really have an opportunity to film this, nor did I want to. Honestly, I was, I was enjoying so much not having any responsibilities. It was so nice. And then coming back and having a lot of them, I'm just like, all right, we're back. Um, but after a lot of vitamins, a smoothie, some rest, and some loving, I feel ready. I also just dropped a crystal. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab the crystal. So today we are going to be talking about chickens, ducks, geese, and turkeys. Um, the chicken section, I actually have quite a few personal stories within the chicken and the duck section. So, um, I might go on little tangents and add details this episode, which I usually do anyways, but they might be a little bit more frequent or they won't. We'll see. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. I know this was like a little five minute, like, hi, this is how Cheyenne's doing. Um, but it is, it's how Cheyenne's doing. And I'm really happy to be here actually, and to be talking to you guys. I haven't done this in a while and it's, um, it's kind of uplifting for the soul. Um, there's also quite a bit of pictures in this section. So for those of you who are listening to the podcast, I do want to remind you that, um, I am filming and posting videos of every episode online as well on my YouTube channel. So if you type in Cheyenne holiday and then whatever I end up titling this episode, you should hopefully be able to find it. Um, I have all of the episodes that have been um, put on Spotify on here as well. So if you want to see the pictures, you can either go to my YouTube or just buy the book. Um, yeah, alrighty. Chickens. Okay, starting off with a not very fun picture. Um, this is a chicken who was either severely injured or already dead um, outside of a transport truck crash in Washington State. I tell this story, so I'm not going to go into it, but um, absolutely heartbreaking photo. Presently, there are around 23 billion chickens on this planet, nearly three times the human population. Every year in the U.S., approximately 9 billion chickens are slaughtered. A shocking reality is that if you were to combine the number of chickens and turkeys killed annually in the U.S., it would account for about 99% of land animals killed here. This massacre is often justified with a baseless argument of intelligence, or lack therefore of. There is an absurd idea that these animals are remarkably unintelligent. However, this couldn't be further from the truth. Numerous research studies have found that chickens, even newly hatched chicks, can count show basic arithmetic, and the ability to manipulate situations in their favor. On their first few days of life, they outsmart even our newborns. They also show signs of self-awareness and empathy among their own kind. They have notable personalities, food preferences, and some enjoy perching on the shoulders of humans. What's interesting is how humans assert that if someone is less intelligent than them, or appears to be, then they are subject to oppression. 
Does this logic apply to young children who have neurological capacities still developing? What about our elderly folk who have dementia? What about those who experience severe brain damage? Do lesser cognitive functioning capabilities really justify abuse? Even if chickens were stupid, does that justify causing them unnecessary harm? Think about that. The exploitation of chickens can be categorized largely into two groups, egg-laying and broiler hens. That is, hens used for egg production and those used for their flesh. We will be discussing the latter first. The image above is from an incident in my hometown of Battleground, Washington. A truck carrying thousands of broiler hens was headed to the slaughterhouse when they decided to make an illegal U-turn, which resulted in the truck tipping over. Many of the birds died on impact, while others were able to escape their now open cages and stumble around confused and injured in a grassy ditch. A dozen activists gathered and attempted to plead with the police, slaughterhouse, and factory farm owner to release some of them to us. Hours passed by Hours passed by without any success. We watched workers, who the slaughterhouse later stated was certified in humane handling, grab hens by their legs and throw them into crates. Horrified, we watched on top of a small hill with the hens beneath us. We strategized, trying to figure out what the best thing to do was. No one felt okay standing by and doing nothing, but we also knew that if we grabbed birds and ran, then we'd all get arrested and most likely be unable to save anyone. As we were all still mulling over the limited possibilities, a hen started making her way up the hill towards us. No one had noticed yet. I started slowly making my way down, using my body as a shield to block her from the manager who had roughhoused us earlier. He looked over and saw her making an escape. I stepped in front of her to block him, and as I did so, one of the other activists scooped up the hen and declared that she was going to take her to get medical treatment. An hour-long standoff between Amber, cradling the hen, and the police ensued. Eventually, they ripped the hen away from her and she was arrested. Everyone went home that night devastated. Fortunately, after all the activity had cleared, some activists returned to the scene and found two hens who had evaded capture by means I will not be sharing here in case the situation ever happens again. They were able to rescue them, take them to a vet, and bring them to a sanctuary that provided them with a safe home for the rest of their lives. These two were able to experience the sun, grass, and love, but they died a couple months afterwards. These types of hens have been genetically manipulated, beginning in the 1950s, to grow as big as physically possible in a very short amount of time. The hens in these photos are only six weeks old. They grow from a tiny chick to a massive bird in just six short weeks. Previous to genetic modification, hens took 15 weeks to reach slaughter weight, Hen's breast size nowadays is 80% more than it used to be. This is the opposite of natural. It's the product of unethically founded science that has made its way into our food system. Um, this is a picture of one of the hens. Oh, I'm so sorry. The camera's on the other side. And, like, all of the feather loss that you can see here isn't just from, like, the crash. Like, she had some scrapes and stuff. But this is just her body can't produce that many feathers like the chickens that i saw in hawaii were half this size if not less they're not supposed to be this big which is why later they can't they can't live very long even if they make it past because their body weight crushes them to death it's not the lives that chickens are supposed to be living it's not natural in the slightest
Since the natural order has been manipulated so harshly, further measures are taken in order to ensure the hens have the best chances of making it to slaughter alive, since it's the only way that they can make money off of them. Their methods of doing so have a detrimental impact on not only the hens, but for those who consume them and the environment. As of 2006, nearly 70% of the 9 billion broiler chickens raised each year in the United States were legally fed small amounts of an arsenic compound, a suspected human carcinogen, as a growth promoter and to fight parasites. Traces of arsenic can end up in the chicken itself, as well as in manure, which can decompose in the soil or run off in waterways, or the manure can re-enter the food chain as a cattle feed supplement. Pumped up on drugs just to stay alive long enough to die in a profitable manner, hens experience a living hell on earth. The rapid growth of these hens makes basic tasks, such as moving from one place to another, difficult. By the time they get on a transport truck, many of their bones will have been broken from the enormous weight of their body. Often their organs give up under the crushing pressure around them. This whole experience is directly felt by these sensitive animals. They are in no way deserving of the suffering enforced upon them. At the slaughterhouse, they are met with a brutal fate. They will be pulled up by their feet out of the crates they were brought in and shackled upside down, fully conscious on the kill line. The line speeds at these death factories only appear to go faster every year, with the present rate being up to 140 chickens a minute. Imagine killing 140 beings every minute. Imagine if that was your job. What do you think that would do to you? To end 140 lives a minute, day in and day out. At most slaughterhouses, they are first drugged through electrified water that paralyzes them to a degree and makes it so that their feathers come off easier. Next, they are led to an automated blade that slits their throat. Often, there are workers nearby to kill those still moving. The birds are often frantically flapping around, trying to free themselves during this process, and sometimes miss the electric bath and or blade. This unfortunately means that there are chickens who have entered this next process fully conscious, which former slaughterhouse worker Virgil Butler has reported. After the blade, their body enters a scalding tank of water. He stated that in this tank, the chickens scream, kick, and their eyeballs pop out of their heads. All so that we can eat them. The term humane isn't even kind of applicable to this type of massacre. Another less common method of killing chickens that is typically done on smaller operations is called the kill cone. Here, chickens are shoved upside down in a long funnel and their throats are slit. They are fully conscious as they bleed out, blood pouring into their eyes and mouth while they desperately try to escape. Some larger operations use decompression tanks and gas chambers to execute masses of chickens. When you look on industry websites, you'll see the phrase humane handling and euthanasia when they address these methods of destruction. Euthanasia refers to a death given out of mercy, to someone who is chronically ill or on the verge of death. The word humane means having or showing compassion or benevolence. Do you think the way these animals are treated falls within these definitions? Um, here's the last photo of the ladies that we were able to, uh, that someone was able to um, 
get from the crash. They were so cute. They, they were so tired. Um, they were often just exactly mimicking each other, just sleeping while they're standing because they were so tired from the day they'd lived. They were very bonded after that too. I mean, they were the only two survivors out of thousands. Um, yeah, sadly, they only lived a couple months um, longer, but luckily that life was spent being able to bond with other chickens and being outside and experiencing the sun and the grass beneath their feet. And um, they got to experience a real life, not just one that was fully encompassed with suffering and death and profit. They were able to be seen as more than profit. And that should be a bare minimum, but I'm happy that they got that. On the other side of chicken exploitation sits egg-laying hens. Modern egg farms hold tens of thousands of hens in layers of battery cages designed to collect their eggs. 130,000 hens can be in a single egg-laying facility, while 30,000 broiler hens can be in a barn. In terms of the number of individuals and the length of their suffering, egg-laying hens are the most exploited land animals. All but 5% of the 280 million hens in the U.S. egg-laying flock are raised in battery cages, typically made of wire and confining 5 to 10 birds. I want to repeat that for a second. All but 5% of the 280 million hens in the U.S. egg-laying flock are raised in battery cages. All but 5%. A vast, 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 vast majority of them. And I'm going to talk about the terms like cage-free and stuff later because that doesn't just mean like they're out like in the grass just vibing. Um, that's not what that means at all, unfortunately. Um, so we'll, we'll address that in a minute. The life of an egg-laying hen begins in a hatchery. Eggs are incubated for about 21 days on metal shelves. They emerge from their shells with their eyes open, fully aware of their surroundings. Here begins their first traumatizing experience. Sexing is the next step, in which workers will separate male and female chicks. In the egg industry, they do not lay eggs and they have not been genetically modified to grow as big as broilers, so their first day of life will be their last. After being sorted, most will be thrown onto a conveyor belt that will then dump them into a macerator, which will grind them up alive. Another common method of killing them is by dumping them into a large trash bag where they will slowly suffocate on top of one another. Other facilities use gas chambers. For every female born, a male is born. This equates to around 6 billion male chicks being killed annually for egg production. 6 billion. Baby, like, and when I say baby, I mean they were just born. Like, day one of their life. And they are ground up alive or suffocate to death on top of the bodies of thousands of other babies. That's the egg industry. Like, that's the reality of it. You can look up videos of all of this. You can look up a ton of videos of all of this. And I actually encourage you to do so. Because hearing me talk about it is a lot less real than seeing it. And even seeing a video is less real than being there. But... I think it's important that we know what we've done. And by we, I mean our species. Because even if you're not the one throwing a chicken into a blender, you have to understand that by buying the products that come out of that, you are participating in that in some way. 
And that's why we need to know what's happening so that we can actively make informed decisions to not participate in these industries if that doesn't feel in ethical alignment with us. And I would say most of the people listening to this probably wouldn't press the blend button if they threw a baby chicken there. Most of us probably wouldn't throw a baby chicken in a blender in the first place, but... <sighs> okay. Females whose reproductive system will now be exploited for the rest of their lives will generally have their beaks clipped, receive vaccines, and be sent to a growing facility. A not-so-fun fact is that a vast majority, about 70 to 80 percent, of all pharmaceutical drugs are given to animals to prevent them from dying early and to promote rapid growth. So if you're, like, suspicious of big pharma, which you should be, um, know that Big Pharma and Animal Ag, they're besties, best friends. They fully rely on each other, 100%. Taking down one is taking down the other, essentially. Or at least it's, it aids in it massively. Um, so, you know, look into it. Debeaking is often done to birds who will be sent to caged, free-range, or organic barn farms. The purpose is to rent... The purpose is to prevent them from severely injuring one another because that could cause economic loss for the farmer. The vaccinations for these animals are essential due to the way these animals are raised. On an average of 12 to 20 vaccines are given to each chick to prevent deadly diseases from taking hold. Some of these diseases are zoonotic. If you weren't before, then you may be familiar with this term now because of COVID-19. Zoonotic diseases are able to pass from non-human animals to humans. Factory farms are the perfect breeding ground for these diseases and the conditions in which they would be passed to humans. In fact, according to Dr. Benjamin Cooker, I think that's how you say it, every known epidemic disease to plague humans originated in animals. If we want to avoid the next global pandemic, then we need to stop this barbaric practice. Okay, I'm going to show you an image. I took this image. I took the image above at a factory farm in Iowa. These hens have spent virtually their entire lives crammed inside of a small cage with eight to ten other birds. Where many of them were sticking out their heads is where they receive their food. Their eggs fall below them and are collected daily. Water is delivered through a drip system. It's a highly depersonalized system of living. In normal operations, the birds you see on the ground would not be there. This day, however, was a very different kind of day in this barn. The owner of the farm put out a notification on Facebook that he would be killing all the birds in this particular barn due to financial burdens. I believe this was the reason, but it was never made very clear to me. In his post, he said anyone could come and take as many hens as they wanted. Luckily, the activist community caught wind of this. Within three hours of me telling my partner that I wanted to rescue animals, I was tagged in a post asking for someone to transport around 30 hens from that farm to Colorado. Instant manifestation. We gladly accepted the opportunity and drove to the farm the following morning. It was my first time inside of this type of facility, and it was absolutely horrific. The day before we arrived, they'd been taking hens out of cages and shoving them into CO2 gas tanks right next to the activists rescuing hens. Luckily, they weren't doing this when we were there. 
Several farmer-looking folks were there rounding up hens. Many of the workers who were helping them move would grab as many as they could by their feet. One woman appeared to be holding about eight in her fist. They'd be harshly yanked out and thrown upside down. This would harm some of them physically. I remember one particular moment where a hen was screeching in the hands of this lady. I froze as every cell in me wanted to do something as the hen continued to cry out, but I knew I just had to keep rescuing as many birds as I could. We ended up getting 43 hens into the back of my partner's car. They all appeared to be dehydrated and hungry, so we fed them lettuce during the nearly 12-hour drive to Colorado. I'd never been in a car that smelled that bad, and I'd also never been so happy to be in that kind of stench. These ladies experienced the sun for probably the first time in our arms. They were restless for a lot of the drive. However, by the time night fell, they all cuddled together in a big keep. They were so cute. It all just looked like a big, like, angel wing. Just, they were amazing. They were so, they were so good. Um, oh, yeah, that's funny. They looked like a giant angel wing. Yep. When we arrived at their new home, we took them out one by one and brought them to safety. A good two days effort on our part was quite literally life or death for them. I think what we need to remember is how big of an impact we have the capacity to make. Our actions truly do matter. They certainly did for these ladies. Now, let's reflect on the egg industry a bit more. The hens you see above have been genetically modified to produce as many eggs as physically possible. Naturally, chickens lay around 12 eggs a year for breeding purposes. However, humans have manipulated them to lay anywhere between 250 to 300 eggs a year. This has a significant impact on their health, as laying an egg is a strenuous process on their body. Due to how many eggs they lay, many of the hens are calcium deficient, and a third will suffer a bone fracture before being killed. To make matters worse, some farms starve the hens for a period of time because it's been shown that when they resume feeding, they produce larger eggs. The European Union has banned that particular practice. Hens generally only survive about 18 months in this industry before being sent to slaughter for not producing enough eggs. Sometimes, instead of being hauled off to the slaughterhouse, they are buried alive or suffocated to death in CO2 gas chambers. Many of them don't make it to that mark in dying cages alongside their cellmates. We witnessed this at firsthand on that farm. We witnessed this firsthand on that farm. A few birds in particular died with their heads hanging out of the cage, aching for freedom that their death finally gave them. Now, you may agree that factory farming chickens is wrong, but what about free-range, organic, or backyard farms? First and foremost, the males in the egg industry are still murdered, even if the females are sent to a farm that doesn't use all the egregious practices we've gone over. This includes the chicks they sell at farmer stores. They're all coming from hatcheries, which are inherently based on the exploitation of the female reproductive system and the murder of males. On that note, it's important to take into consideration the will of the hens. Chickens lay eggs so they can raise chicks. If a mate doesn't come along to make this possible, then they often eat their own eggs to help them rebuild the nutrients lost in the production of making said eggs. In this industry, mother hens never get to experience motherhood. It is constantly stolen from them, and their, and their children are almost always destined to have terrible lives. In nature, hens create nests and lay on their eggs to protect their young. They can even communicate with their hatchling through the shell separating them. That's so cool. There's a reason humans use the term mother hen to describe a loving, caring mother figure. Now, on the note of organic, 
All it means is that the hens are fed organic feed, not given antibiotics, and have some access to the outdoors. Cage-free often just means they're all crammed into a barn together for the entirety of their life, which is just a large cage, realistically. The industry definition of free range just means having access to the outside for a part of the day. Sometimes, farms literally just have a small hole in the side of the building that some chickens make their way out of on occasion if they find it. And if they're truly free range, in a large backyard per se, then we get back to the topic of motherhood. Chickens do not lay their eggs so that we can consume them. They did not consent to that, nor can they, since they speak a different language. If you happen to have rescued egg-laying hens, then something that is helpful to do if the eggs aren't fertilized is to feed some of them back to the hens so that they can regain some much-needed nutrients. Eggs are not an essential part of the human diet, and they're actually quite harmful for us. A study published in 2019, accounting for 30,000 adults over the course of 17 years, showed that for every half an egg a day consumed, the likelihood of the person developing heart disease rose by 6%, and their risk of dying early increased by 8%. Eggs are high in cholesterol levels, which is really only harmful for humans, since our body naturally creates all the cholesterol we need. Furthermore, the FDA states that there are around 79,000 cases of foodborne illness and 30 deaths each year in the U.S. caused by eating eggs infected with salmonella. Eggs also cannot legally be called healthy, safe, or nutritious. All things considered, chickens are highly intelligent animals who outnumber us on this planet dramatically. Forcibly breeding them into existence for the pure purpose of exploitation is harmful, unnecessarily violent, and unnatural. turkeys this is a turkey his name is stratus he is a resident at iowa farm sanctuary turkeys are social intelligent and cautious animals they are so sensitive to their own emotions that their heads will even change color the more vibrant their color the more intense the emotion is that they're feeling their head colors have the same theme of the american flag red white and blue Perhaps that's why Benjamin Franklin felt that they are respectable, true Americans. In nature, turkeys navigate prairies and woodlands, often traveling in broods where mothers team up to look after the group's young together. They have full color vision, and it's said that their eyesight is three times better than our own. Some of these birds are first able to take flight within their first two weeks of life, and at night they use this newfound ability to fly into trees and roost as a family. This feeling of family, it seems, can be extended to humans as well, once we have gained their trust. One time at Harmony Farm Sanctuary, one of the young men who ran the facility told my friend and I that he loved laying down and having the turkeys nest on his back. We were immediately intrigued and followed his lead. <laughs> I remember this moment. We were like, that's an option? And we just like laid down and we're just like, excitedly looking around as they like slowly circled us and then like made their way onto our back and just like ne sometimes they'd step on our head and we're just like face in the dirt we're like this is great <laughs> it was so much fun it was really really great um yep soon enough after circling us for quite some time and ensuring we weren't a threat they nestled right on our backs it's truly tragic that so few humans get to share this kind of loving interaction with these birds in the United States, 245 million turkeys are killed a year, 46 million of those for Thanksgiving. Here in the U.S., we kill over a third of the turkeys globally, which is over 656,000 a year. We, this doesn't make sense. I gotta do a Google. 
All right. Well, in the light of transparency, sometimes while I'm recording these, I find mistakes in my book, um, which is why I want to I, I usually edit them so that the new printed ones don't have it. But I want to make a whole like second edition where I find and go through and make sure that none of these mistakes are there. But the mistake I just found um which is pretty overt. So it says here in the US, we kill over a third of the turkeys killed globally, which is over 656,000 a year. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because if we kill 245 million turkeys a year, then that obviously doesn't make sense. Um, I see the mistake. Um, I meant million. So it's about 640 million ticken, uh, turkeys, 640 million turkeys killed for food each year. Um, and that's just the first statistic that I found. So I'm going to dig more into this. But welcome to Cheyenne Makes Mistakes and um, needs to fact check her things. Or really, I mean, this just looks like a a typing error. Um, but yeah, anyways, if you, this is actually such an important, if you ever find a mistake, if you ever read something you're like, this doesn't make sense, please let me know. Because I wrote this book so rapidly. I wrote it so fast. And I had two people fully edit it in like a week time. And then I published it. So bound to be errors i mean i found errors in like a lot of professionally written and obviously and by professional i mean like had a professional publisher and like a publishing house and all of that so um mistakes happen and if you find any help me out help a girl out be nice about it though because i'm a sensitive sunflower okay anyways i made a mistake and that's okay moving on in the U.S. and most other nations, they have no federal legal protection, and virtually all of them spend their entire lives on factory farms. For the vast majority raised on these farms, their life begins in an incubator. They will never meet their mothers and will live their lives in a windowless shed. At this stage of existence, part of their beaks, toenails, and the male's snoods, the flap of skin under their chin, I don't even know if I said that right, are cut off without painkillers to keep the birds from killing each other. When in such crowded and maddening conditions, many of the birds develop violent and or self-harming tendencies. This can be understood when you imagine being crammed into a factory with up to 10,000 others for the entirety of your life. Many will develop a stress-related condition that causes them to stop eating. This, as well as general and wellness common in these birds, kills off some of them within the first few weeks of life. Like all other factory farmed animals, turkeys have been genetically manipulated since at least the 1960s, and at that point in time, the slaughter weight for a turkey was 17 pounds. Nowadays, it's 30. This has made it so that they're unable to reproduce naturally, so a vast majority of the turkeys alive today are via artificial insemination. Their enormous weight is crippling, and many die of heart attack or organ failure before even reaching six months old. Around this time, those who have survived are trucked off to slaughter. They are killed in the same manner as chickens. Um, this is a turkey and a cow at Iowa Farm Sanctuary. Their names are Pearson and Flower. Very sweet. Pearson is like really fun. He just like puffs out and he just like walks around and like shakes his feathers. And he's, he's a cutie. Alrighty. Ducks and geese. Um... This is a picture of um, activists locked down in front of a slaughterhouse and hatchery and farm um, for ducks. That is me. You can probably find me. If you can't, I'm right there. Um, and we are holding dead chickens that other activists got from their, like, dead pile, essentially. 
and I got the two that I was holding tattooed on my ankle. It's likely that you've seen ducks in their natural setting before. They are aquatic animals that spend most of their 20-year lifespan swimming in ponds, foraging for food, and playing with their flocks. Cleanliness is important to most of them, and they have been known to keep their dwelling space tidy. They form long-lasting friendships and migrate throughout the world in accordance with the seasons. In fact, they can be found on every continent except for Antarctica. Approximately 120 species of ducks are known of, and they are closely related to geese and swans. Geese live a similar lifestyle to ducks, but with more emphasis on romance. Geese mate for life and exhibit unwavering loyalty to their partners. Often, when their mate is injured or has died, they will refuse to leave their side and will try to wake them up. Many have been observed to mourn their loss in seclusion, and some will never mate again. They show similar behavior with a bit less intensity when losing their eggs as well. Not only are they protective of their immediate family, but they have been but they have been known to care for members of their flock who are injured or sick as well. All of these natural behaviors are stripped from them when crammed into dimly lit sheds by the thousands. Their natural order is in disarray and they go mad. They are typically given no access to swimming water, which is dreadful for their water-bound bodies, and in most sheds the floor consists of a wire mesh to collect their feces beneath. This was the type of farm we were protesting in the photo above. This particular farm was a hatchery, factory farm, and slaughterhouse, all in one property. This means that these birds would quite literally never leave these grounds from birth to death unless they were rescued. Direct Action Everywhere conducted an investigation in which they found gross examples of animal abuse and neglect. Due to the size that due to the size these birds grew to and their less than life-affirming conditions for living, many of them would collapse and be unable to access food or water. They would then slowly starve to death. Evidence of this was found again in person when we infiltrated the farm. My team's responsibility was to block the gate with our bodies and chains. Another group found the pile of dead birds, tossed out as trash, and brought many of them to us so we could show the world the victims these industries want forgotten. While we did so, another team rescued dozens of ducklings who are now safe at sanctuary, and another team chained themselves to the slaughter line. As a group, our demand of the police was clear. Start an animal cruelty investigation immediately, and we will leave. Now, in most other states, we would unfortunately have no legal backing to enforce these requests. However, in California, we do. California Penal Code Section 597E states, in summary, that if a person sees a domestic animal being neglected, food and water, then that person may enter the property and supply the animal with necessary care. That person would not be subject to punishment for entry and could actually request compensation from the abuser for the cost of providing care to the animal. Now, most states have a subsection that states something along the lines of, except for farmed animals, making it only really applicable to pets. California does not have that section, and because of that, a Harvard Law professor has written us a legal opinion stating that we are acting within our legal rights to take necessary action. With this as our foundation, we took action. The police, who often protect corporations and not people, followed that trend. 80 of the 600 activists that day were arrested. The charges for most of them were dropped, except for those of us chained. We were originally arrested on felony charges and several misdemeanors, which got dropped to just trespassing very quickly. We originally intended to take the case to trial, then COVID-19 happened and our case got delayed for two years. Per the advice of our legal team, we agreed to take the deferment offered, which was essentially just a fine and 20 community service hours. I'm happily serving my time at our I am happily serving my time at Iowa Farm Sanctuary. Now, back to our main subject. 
Ducks and geese are killed for their flesh, organs, and feathers. In the U.S., 27.5 million ducks were slaughtered in 2019. This number does not include those who were shot in the wild for sport. Many of those ducks are shot mid-flight and are actually never found by the hunter, causing them to slowly die from their injuries. On factory farms similar to other birds, ducks' upper beaks are often cut off to prevent them from pecking at their own feathers or one another due to stress. Humans, however, have no problem ripping feathers off of geese and ducks. A practice known as live plucking is common to create high-end materials for down comforters, pillows, and couches. Live plucking is exactly what it sounds like. Someone holds a bird down and rips out their feathers for long periods of time, then releases them back into the flock of traumatized birds. They then let the feathers grow back and repeat this process again and again, then slaughter the animals. It's a monstrosorous practice. Monstrosorous. Monstrosorous. It's a monstrosorous practice. I don't know if I said that right, but that's okay. Roughly 80% of the world's down comes from Chinese farms. Many farms claim to not use this practice anymore, but after an undercover investigation by PETA at 11 farms in China, the evidence was clear that this practice is still alive. This thorough investigation has led to several sellers looking more deeply into the farms they use to produce ethical down, but the reality of ethical down is that it just means the birds are murdered before their feathers are ripped out of their dead body. (sighs) Can you imagine that? They're like, no, this is more ethical because we kill them first. We just torture them less. Disgusting. Birds grow their feathers for themselves, not so we can pluck them out for a jacket. The production of foie grass. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. Yeah, once again, I'm just, I'm doing my best. Um, Which is French for fatty liver, is absolutely dreadful. It's known as a delicacy in a majority of it. 75 to 80% is produced in France. Here, ducks are kept in cages so small they can't even extend their wings. Unlike most industries, only the males are used for this particular massacre. For these beings, their reality consists of being roughly force-fed two to four times a day with a tube that pumps pounds of food into their stomach. These pipes injure the bird's sensitive throats, mouths, and esophagus significantly. Their gag reflex is triggered every time they are force-fed this way, making them convulse with every assault. This process alone kills many of the birds. The survivors live in a cage covered in vomit and spilled mush that coats their entire body. They are forced to live this way for two to five weeks before being killed for the elite to eat their livers. By this time, their liver was bloated to approximately 12 times its natural size. Poor babies. The process of being sent to slaughter for all these birds is terrifying. At night, when the birds are naturally calmer, workers called catchers move through the sheds and grab birds, throwing them into crates. Once all the crates are full, they're trucked off to slaughter. This ride will sometimes be the first time many of these birds have ever truly breathed fresh air, seen the stars or the sunshine, depending on the time of day. Imagine if your only taste of the outside world was in your final moments of life. Ducks are slaughtered in the same manner as turkeys and chickens. They are inverted, hung from their legs on a slaughter line, and dragged headfirst through an electric bath of water. This is meant to stun them for easier handling. Then they move on to an automated blade that slits their throat. Many of them are still fully awake during this point and flail around, sometimes causing them to miss the blade. At this point, they will slowly drown to death in scalding hot water meant to defeather them. That's that. Um... Yeah, thank you for listening today. Um, we got to talk about a lot of our feathered friends who are not treated as friends by most humans. Um, and 
If there's anything that I touched on that you would like more of an elaboration of, I'm super happy to talk about that. Um, Having read this and also read just the rest of the book, there's a lot more that I'd like to go um, in depth on that I haven't. And so I do most definitely intend to come out with like a updated version of Plant Peace as well as probably a whole nother book called Plant Power. Um, just cause I think that I can, I think I can do better than my first attempt at this book, which I think is good, but, um, you know, always room for improvement. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for tuning in today. And I, I don't really feel sorry for, um, taking an extra week because I needed it, but you know, if you were missing the podcast then that kind of warms my heart a lot because, um, people caring about it means a lot to me because it takes an amount of effort to actually do these. Like you have no idea how many times I sometimes re-say a sentence. Sometimes it's like five times. Like earlier there was a sentence that I just absolutely could knock it out. It took me so many times to say it. Um, so yeah, so, um, my appreciation is truly, uh, truly here for you for listening to this. And if you feel like this would have an impact on someone you love, then, you know, feel free to send it to them. If you have any questions you'd like me to answer, um, please, you know, message me. Um, but yeah, yeah, just thank you. Um, next week we are going to be talking about, let me, let me take a yonder at it. Um, we're actually getting kind of close to the end of the animal section. So next week we're going to be talking about sheep horses, rabbits, foxes, and mink. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I'll have that be. I feel like that's a good, that's a good, good amount of the animals to talk about in a day. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and I love you a lot. And I hope that your day is filled with just abundance and joy and Um, I know that the information I share here isn't very joy producing, um, but it's information that needs to be shared. And so I really do appreciate you um, being present with it and listening. So, you know, be patient with yourself, be kind, you know, if you, if you're feeling distraught by anything at any point in the podcast, um, literally just placing your hand on your heart is a really good way to just like be present and loving with yourself. Um, So remember to do that. Just be present, be loving. I love you. Thank you so much. See you next week.